This is the Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Podcast with Dr. Serene Sharif. This is a space where we explore how mindfulness, productivity systems, and our thoughts create the magic in our life. I'm here to help and support you if you are struggling with overwhelm and burnout, and you're looking for tools to take control of your time, mind, energy, and productivity. I'm your host, Dr. Serene Sharif, and I am a general surgeon, medical educator, mom to three wonderful children, and wife, which were all instrumental in my journey to be a productivity and burnout coach. I'm excited to share my tools and unique framework to build a community so no one has to go through this alone, empowering each other to find our way out of burnout and overwhelm. We will explore how my mindfulness and productivity systems framework can help you combine the energy of mindfulness with the scientific principles of habit building and your unique systems of productivity. My framework is designed to help you find clarity, design your dream life, and create your transformation. We'll discuss how to overcome limiting beliefs and obstacles that are standing in the way of your dream life, as well as how to create and sustain your new habits in a way that will allow you to finally ditch your willpower and motivation struggles and have more time and energy to live your best life. This is episode number six. Last week, we discussed thought patterns and letting go to get unstuck. We discussed how to create the rafts that carry us through our journey and knowing when to let go so we don't become attached to these rafts and therefore stuck in that moment. This week, I want to take some time to discuss the illusion we have of time management. There's a belief that time is something we can control just if we can figure out the secret hacks. The reality is that time is a neutral circumstance. We all have 24 hours in a day, 168 hours in a week. It's important to be ruthless, to do the things that matter. But how do we determine this? What matters and what doesn't? Where does this clarity even come from? One of the hardest things to do in life is to say no. No to requests, to things that we feel obligated, to things that we feel everyone else is doing and it's expected, to invitations. Even harder is to say no to emotions that take time from us, that drain our energy, anger, distractions, excitement, obsessions, feeling upset. And none of it seems like a big deal when you take it one by one. But when we put it all together, it can take up so much of our time and energy that at the end of the day, we don't even have energy to do the things that truly matter for us. So how do we decide what's important and what is not? How do we bring the clarity that we need to our life? And what does no even mean? You know, it might be hard to say no to someone or something that you feel you should do. But what if saying yes to that person means you're saying no to your dreams. You're saying no to spending time doing something that you really wanted to. You're saying no to your own future. When we recognize the opportunity cost of saying yes to something that we don't want to do, or that is not in alignment with our goals and our vision for our future, the opportunity cost is truly our own life, right? So when we explore that, it's important to realize the power of saying no. It's okay to say no. Thank you for asking me. I'm really honored that you would think of me, but I I am not able to do that at this time. Or you could say in your mind, that's a lot of drama. No, I'm not going to get caught up in that. And perhaps there's going to be some conversations or 
individuals that are toxic in your life and you feel like, oh, I really need to be there and listen, it's really being kind to yourself and to them to say, no, I really just can't do this right now. These time changers, because they change our perspective of time. These time changers can overwhelm and consume our time and energy to the point that we are not able to do the things that we want to in life. So I love this quote by Laura Vanderkam, one of my favorite time management gurus. She says, expectations are infinite. Time is finite. You're always choosing to choose well. We can choose what we do with that time. We can choose how we spend it, who we spend it with, and sometimes even making a plan that we're not going to do anything. We're going to take times of rest as well. And this is hard. It's hard to say no to things, especially to things that you might like to do, you might enjoy doing. But if that's getting in the way of your bigger purpose in life, then at some point we have to say no to all the little things so that we can live in our purpose, fulfilling our biggest dreams, our biggest goals in life. I'm so excited to be on this journey to explore how we can shape and bend the time in our lives to create our dream lives intentionally, mindfully, truly living in our purpose. I'm so excited to welcome my guest today, Dr. Christina Shenley. Dr. Shenley is a practicing emergency physician, educator, writer, speaker, and Mama Four. She is an assistant professor at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill and director of the UNC Office of Academic Excellence. She also teaches and coaches about time management, which is perfect for our conversation today. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Serene. I'm so excited to share some ideas and talk about burnout and everything else with you. I would love to hear, how do you balance being a physician, being an entrepreneur, and being a mom? There are so many hats that you have to wear, and I'm sure our listeners would love to hear more about your journey and how you've found that balance, especially if there have been situations of burnout and overwhelm. First of all, I actually don't really use the term balance in my life. And part of that is because that assumes that if we could just get it right, we could hold all these things and not let anything drop. We could have our perfect family and have our perfect career and it would somehow be this seesaw that magically balances out if only we could figure out that equation. Instead, the best way I've come across to think about this is, is how I'm spending my energy and my time in line with what I value. So am I spending enough time with my family? I value my family a lot. I want to spend time with them. And I am I spending enough energy with them? Or I also value my work. A lot of times people have this quote unquote work-life balance or work-life conundrum, and it almost pits the two against each other. Like work is bad and home life is good. But I think home life is good and work is good. Work is fundamentally a good thing, especially as physicians. We get to do really good work. So to me, there isn't this strict defining line of this is my work and this is my life. They both, my whole work is life. Everything is life. Everything we do is life. So this concept of work-life balance almost to me pits them against each other in a way that creates more tension than it solves. So I like to look at my time and say, okay, is 
is how I'm spending my time in line with my values. And sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. And when it isn't, then I need to recalibrate and say, okay, where can I take something off my plate at work to allow more time at home? Or where can I get more help at home in order to create more time for the work that I wanna do? And then also we add more stress by assuming that we should be able to do it easily. There's a, a great story, I don't know exactly where it came from, but it's attributed to the Buddha, probably other sages as well, where he says there's one arrow that is the difficulty, whether that's something someone says to you or something that happens to you or this difficult situation of how do I have a full-time job and a family and homeschooling them like you are and all of these things. So there's this difficult thing that's an arrow that hits you and that hurts. But then the second arrow is the one that we shoot at ourselves. So the second arrow is the shame or the guilt that we shoot at ourselves that says, oh, I should be able to handle this. This should be easy. What's wrong with me that I can't survive my job without burnout? Or what's wrong with me that I dread going to work in the morning, if that's the situation that you're in? And so I think about that, that what is the difficulty and can I allow it to be difficult? I don't need to force this to be easy because it's not easy. And when I try to make it easy or try to force it in my mind that this should be easy, then I'm shooting myself with a second arrow because now I'm just layering on shame and guilt and a sense of inadequacy and frustration and suffering. And so I think about that second arrow a lot. That's so powerful. There's so much shame, blame, and guilt that we add to our own thoughts, to our own life, right? And especially when we feel like things are outside of our control, feeling like we have to do this or we should do this and not really owning our time. It can make the struggle in that moment so much more. So I recently had this experience. I've been homeschooling my children, my younger two, my second grader and my seventh grader. And the first few months went well. And then we had this period of struggle. The kids were finding it hard to be so isolated from their friends, being home. And I was continuing to work. And so I had a lot of things to balance on my plate. So I was feeling a lot of, oh, we have to get this done and that done. And we weren't really going, what I felt was in the right way. We weren't really getting things done. So the kids and I sat down and we just explored like what's going on and why are we struggling so much, especially after that initial phase where things were going well. And we realized that both of us were struggling with this, oh, we have to do this kind of feeling like we're the victim in the circumstances that we didn't really want to do. And after a lot of discussion, we realized, all three of us, that we don't have to homeschool. They can go back to school whenever they want to. E-learning was a huge struggle at the beginning, so they remembered that pain and decided, no, homeschooling was a better choice. They got to explore more topics and really had a bigger say in what their education was. And we decided that we were all choosing to do this. When we had options and we were choosing to do homeschooling, therefore, this is something that is really important for us to make it successful. And just by feeling that ownership of our choices and that this is something that is of value to us made such a huge difference and it has really changed how we've managed our time and how we've tackled homeschooling over the last few months so that's been a huge improvement yeah i love that sense of reclaiming your agency because we always think that these things are outside of our control. Or we, like you said, we use language like, I have to go to work, I have to do this. No, I choose to go to work. I don't have to come to work tomorrow. I didn't have to come to work today. 
right? It's 100% my choice. And when we think in that way that, oh, things are outside of our control, we develop what's called learned helplessness, which is this idea that we're trapped, that these bad things keep happening to us and there's nothing that we can do. And that first step of just reframing it in our minds to say, no, I'm not trapped. I have total control over my time, total control over my thoughts, my feelings, my actions. And that goes such a long way because then you're going into work or you're going into this challenging situation of homeschooling and COVID and everything with a sense that I'm here because I want to be and I can control my situation. There definitely has been so much that have felt outside of our control within the last year. I don't think any of us could have predicted the last year, but I think we've all learned a lot, um, especially the things that we have taken for granted that we may have just considered to be normal and routine, but that really is a privilege including being able to go out when we wanted to, being able to do the activities that we wanted and having all of those choices and options. What is something that you've learned in the last year that has changed your life and your perspective? I think the biggest thing for me, initially it was when COVID first started, it was just having so many unknowns. At first, we didn't know how fast is this spreading? How bad is it going to be? How long is it going to last? How? What's the mortality? Do we have enough masks? What's going to happen? So for the first few weeks, that was the biggest thing. But then once things kind of settled in, to me, the biggest thing that I've had to deal with is the sense of loss of connection and really a lot of loneliness dealing with not realizing that I had really valued all those connections that I had in person. And we Zoom, we have our Zoom get togethers, our Zoom chats, but it's really not the same. And so it's taught me that I was taking that for granted and that I really want to value it and make a make connections a priority with other people. And so for me, that was the hardest thing. And the way that I managed it is the way that I kind of manage most challenging things is, okay, I've got these thoughts that are making me feel this feeling of loneliness or isolation. And sometimes I can give myself a pep talk and say, you know what, I'm going to choose different thoughts. I'm going to choose thoughts of gratitude. Like I'm thankful that my family's been healthy or gratitude of I'm thankful that I have a job where I can make an impact during this pandemic. And sometimes that's great. And I can really reframe and be positive. Other times for me, December was a really low point. And I think because of just staying positive and staying motivated and staying empowered for the whole year. And then the end of the year came and we finally had this vaccine. And to me, it was like all the weight of that came crashing down on me all in one month. And at those times I had to say, you know what, this is the time I'm going to feel sad. I'm going to feel sad, but I'm still going to show up for work. I'm going to feel sad, but I'm still going to show up for the things that I need to do. So those are kind of two parallel strategies that I've used and that have been helpful during the pandemic. That's so powerful, just acknowledging our thoughts and our feelings. And I think a lot of times we think that there's something wrong when we have anything that is outside of the expected happiness or joy or what we consider to be our positive feelings. So in a day, we have about 40,000 to 60,000 thoughts. And by definition, in our human experience, it is going to include both positive and negative feelings. So thinking that we're only going to experience joy, happiness, and excitement, and we're never going to experience anger or frustration or any of the other negative feelings is really just unrealistic. When we acknowledge that our life includes both of those, and when we have those negative feelings that nothing has gone wrong, and you know, it's not because of a failure or, or a, a thought error that we're having, but it's really we're just experiencing life as it's meant to be. I think it makes it so much more powerful. Yeah, one thing I've thought about a lot is, of course, by definition, half of our time, half of 
of our life, half of our days will be below average. But how can we raise our personal average? How can we make our average higher? And for me, a lot of that has really been choice and creating ownership and also noticing the joy in things. Because so often we go from thing to thing to thing. I've just got to hop on this Zoom call, hop on that Zoom call, go to the gym, go to the store, go home. And we don't notice the moments of joy and we don't notice what they feel like. And by taking just a few seconds or a minute to say, wow, that really brings me joy. Joy feels like warmth or contentment or fullness or like there's nothing else that I need in this moment. And noticing that can really help break up the constant monotony of the stress we feel or the burnout that we feel or the frustration or the just having to get through the daily grind. So that's something that's helped for me to say, okay, I can choose how my day goes. I can choose where my mean is if it's high or low. And that's dependent only on me. That's within my circle of control. What other people do, what politicians do, what the weather's doing, what coronavirus does, that is outside my control. What is in my control are my thoughts, feelings, and actions. That is so true. Just exploring where is our focus of control. Burnout does include that loss of autonomy and loss of control. So have you experienced this? And what are some tools or strategies that you've used to overcome this? Serene, for me, the time in my life when I've had the most burnout was actually when I was a junior faculty. And so I had finished residency, finished fellowship, I had my fourth kid, that was going to be my last kid, (laughs) and so there was no big next step. As we go through school, high school, we got to get good grades to get into a good college, we got to get good grades to get into a good med school, grad school, whatever it is, law school, job, and then we finish our schooling, our residency, our fellowship, and then there it is. There's no next step. There's nothing else that we're working towards per se. And maybe, you know, oh, I want to get to associate professor or I want to get this position in my job. But there isn't that same drive. And I realized that for me, that drive was a lot of what kept me going and a lot of what motivated me. And so I kind of floundered for a few years. I didn't really have a clear direction. I was doing a lot of things. I've always loved education. I was doing things in education, but I didn't have something that I could really pour myself into. And to me, though, I don't really have, you know, a clear five or 10 year goals. I really don't know what I want to be when I grow up. But I know that it's important for me to be able to relieve suffering, to have autonomy in how I work, to be able to have creativity in how I do things, and to have an impact. And I struggled because I wasn't finding a way to really use my strengths in my work and in other realms. And eventually I found a new role where in the School of Medicine where I can have more of an impact. I really get to serve students and help them and I can use my strengths. It feels like when you're in a box that's too tight and you can't quite breathe and you're suffocating, and then you finally have space. And for me, it was about meaning. So finding meaning and really using my talents. It felt like, oh, now I can stretch. Now I can flex. Now I can really make my maximal contribution. So burnout comes from a lot of different things. From the literature, a lot of burnout comes from all the tiny things that we have to do. The extra clicks in the EMR, the difficulty getting patients follow-up, or the problems with insurance not covering things. And for me, it really, though, came down to those things were annoying, but fundamentally, I had a lack of meaning or purpose and what I was doing daily. And many people, they want to just clock in for their job, clock out, and that's enough. And they have plenty of meaning in the work that they do with individual patients. But for me, I really wanted to find other things that kind of were intellectually stimulating and also allowed me to have an impact. I really like 
the framework that Viktor Frankl created. He was an Austrian psychiatrist and Holocaust survivor, and he created what he called logotherapy, which basically means therapy from the construct of meaning. And he developed this idea that there's three main ways that people find meaning in life. And without meaning, we're kind of in this existential vacuum. We have no purpose, we're not driven, we don't have that sense of fulfillment. And the three ways that he noted that people found meaning and were able to maintain hope in times of suffering, for example, what he experienced, were first creating something. So creating something new. And that's really where I find a lot of meaning is creating things that will then help people, creating systems or processes or educational curricula or things like that or lectures. And then the second way is through experience. So maybe experience of a beautiful sunset. You look at art or you look at nature and you find meaning or you connect with people and that experience brings meaning. And then the third that he articulated was a sense of your own identity. For example, if you find meaning, say as a soldier, in the idea that I am going to be brave under fire, or, you know, heck, as a surgeon or an ER doctor, I'm going to be brave under fire. I'm going to be calm and solid and steady in the face of apparent chaos and mayhem. <laughs> and so that identity is another way to find meaning. And I think it's just interesting to think about where do you find meaning in your work? Or where are you in a vacuum? where there's a lack of meaning. I would love to reframe this idea that time is our enemy. What about if instead we said, no, time is my friend. Time is a gift. Time is 24 hours that no matter what happens, I get every single day until I die. Time is my friend. Time is my asset. Time is my tool that I can use to shape the life that I want. And another way we can reframe it is this concept of, oh, I don't have time. You will never have time. You have to make time. And making time involves choices, sometimes difficult choices, sometimes compromises, sometimes sacrifices. We have that 24 hours. So I teach a workshop on time management. And I think sometimes people come thinking that we can magically create 30 hours in a day, but we can't. And what I can tell you is when we have that problem or situation of too much on our plate, we want to do more, but we say, oh, I just can't. I don't have time. Well, then we have to be strategic. We have to say, okay, what are we doing with our time that really isn't important to us, that really isn't creating meaning, that really isn't adding value to ourselves? Or, or what could we delegate? What are we doing that really we know we should be having someone else do? So being strategic. And I think about it kind of like if you have a map room with the war generals deploying their troops and their little military men and thinking about where am I putting time towards a battle that's not winning a war? Where am I just throwing away troops in terms of my time and effort? So that's thinking about strategy. And then the other lens is efficiency. If you look at your time and you say, oh, I just don't have time. I've got too much on my plate. Well, how could you shrink each thing that's on your plate to then create more space? So if I have something that I have to do and I do it really inefficiently, I'm kind of doing it, but I'm also checking social media or I'm also checking my email or I'm also staring out the window and it might take me three hours. Whereas if I really focused and turned all my attention to that task, then I could get it done in an hour and a half. And now if I do that with every single task, then I've now cleared up a lot of time that I can apply to new things that are more meaningful to me. Now, it's not easy. It takes a lot of energy, but ultimately it's more rewarding when we truly apply ourselves in that deep focus. One of the other things I think about with all the struggles that we have with time management or with you know coronavirus, with other people, with other with our departments or whatever it is that's challenging, is one of the things that Marcus Aurelius said, which he was a Roman emperor and Stoic philosopher, and he said, the impediment to action advances action. 
what stands in the way becomes the way. And I think about that a lot, that this, what we think of as an obstacle, meaning we don't have enough time to do the things we want, that's what forces us to dive deeper into understanding our own selves, into understanding our minds, into understanding our lives and what gives meaning to it. And that's the thing that we truly needed. So that obstacle, say we could just snap our fingers and make make things happen. I could just snap my fingers and this thing would get done or snap my fingers and the groceries would be put away and I would never have to face that obstacle of not having enough time. But then I would never have to make those difficult choices. Then I would never have to really understand how to manage my own thoughts in order to focus, how to clear my own mind. And that's what I really needed. I didn't just need the groceries put away. I think also not being afraid of failure is a big thing. When you're thinking about, for example, creating a podcast, I'm sure in your mind you were like, well, what if no one listens to it? What if it's not good? What if after 10 episodes I stop wanting to do it? And then people will think, why are there only 10 episodes? But then you can ask yourself, well, what if? What if I decide after 10 episodes that was fun, but I'm not going to make another one? And you say, well, that would be okay. My life wouldn't be over. As long as you can tolerate some failure, then you can create things and you can explore that. And you can say, okay, yeah, podcasting was great, but maybe it's not for me. Or yeah, it's fantastic. This is really where I want to take my career or my hobbies. So not being afraid of failure is also key. That is so true. A lot of times we don't even start doing something because we think about all the ways that we can fail. And it's much easier to say, oh, it's too hard. It's not something that's going to work out and give up before we've even started doing the work. And thinking that you might fail, there's a lot of discomfort in that space. And it's really hard. As I've talked about before, starting this podcast is something that I've thought about for over a year plus. And really, it just felt like there were so many technological challenges that I would have to overcome. I would have to learn new skills, editing, recording, putting it all together. I didn't even know what was the right equipment to get. And it just felt like an insurmountable task of trying to coordinate it all. I never felt like it was something I could do. And just exploring all of my limiting beliefs and the things that were keeping me stuck in doing something that I really did passionately believe in. It was an interesting journey just to see how much it was all going on in my head that was keeping me stuck and really taking a step in something that I absolutely passionately believed in. I think it is so important to create the space where we can talk about burnout, where we can talk about strategies, provide a platform for others to come and share wisdom, and also for me to share my own journey and connect with others so we don't have to do this alone. I think it's so important to explore time and productivity, energy management, all of these things that are important, especially now that we have so many things on our plate, so many distractions in this world, and we need tools. We need a space to talk about this. So just recognizing that this was something that was important, not just for me, but for so many others, it really helped me to overcome the discomfort that I had associated with failure and consider what can I do instead of thinking of all the ways that I am going to fail. Thoughts of failure and limiting beliefs can be really paralyzing. I'm so glad that I still decided to go for it anyway. It's possible that I might do 10 or 100 or 1,000 episodes and things may change, but I can't really predict the future. So I can only do it one episode at a time, one technology challenge at a time, and just keep working through it. This is not meant to be perfect. There's going to be things that come up 
or perhaps some problems in editing or processing that might come up. And that's just part of the learning process, right? It took a long time for me to really accept that though, and to embrace that failure is part of my journey. I'm really not trying to avoid it. In fact, it's an important part of my journey. Right. And be okay. Brene Brown is a great author. I love her book, Dare to Lead. But one of the things she says is, if you have no tolerance for failure, then you will never create anything new. So you have to be okay with saying this might not work. And I have to be okay with that and not let that devastate me or make me recoil and be afraid to try anything else new. So is there anything that you wish you could tell your younger self? What is one piece of advice that you would like to give your younger self? Oh man, so many things, Serene, so many things. But mostly I would say be kind to yourself. So often when we talk to our friends, we're kind, considerate, empathetic, loving, encouraging whenever something goes wrong. And when we talk to ourselves, we're harsh, unforgiving, cruel, condescending almost. We're, we're just so much meaner when we talk to ourselves. And so if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, hey, be nice to yourself. Treat yourself like a little girl. I think sometimes when I'm finding myself being mean, I try to think of myself, imagine I'm talking to a little girl, a little girl version of me. And, and the things I find myself saying like, oh my gosh, you're so stupid. You know, everyone thinks you're a total idiot. And I would never say that to a little five-year-old. So I would tell myself to practice being kinder, to stop using that cruel voice that we talk to ourselves with. My favorite self-care strategy is to treat myself like I would my best friend, speaking to myself with unconditional love and total belief, leaving sweet messages for me to read later. I actually use sticky notes and sending fun gifts to myself just because I don't wait for someone else to do this. It took a long time to build this as a habit because I definitely had a lot of self-criticism and judgment and struggle with that perfectionism for myself. So it took a long time for me to break down those habits and, and start really showing myself that love and belief and, and joy that I would want to share with others. And as I was building it, I realized how empowering self-love and self-compassion can truly be. So I definitely highly recommend the strategy of thinking, how would you treat your best friend and treat yourself that way and see how that works. So what are some projects or programs that you have been doing this year? Uh, I would love to know more about your journey and future goals. Lots of ways. Actually, I'm, I've am i really been enjoying this year. I've been doing an MBA program, which has been fantastic and also a great way to meet other people who have very different sets of skills. And to say, hey, you know what? I don't know anything about finance or sales or marketing. Let me learn from you. And it's very humbling, but also just fantastic to say, hey, I'm a fish and usually I'm with other fish in the medical world, but now I get to meet like all these people with other skills. The other thing I've been working on is I mentioned my time management workshop. And this is something that I've created. I blog about it and speak about it and run this workshop on. And it's just been so fun getting to meet people from all over the, the country and the world and see them overcome the struggles, overcome things that they've been putting off for years and then start to think in new ways. So that's something I've loved and I'm exploring what would this look like to make for high school students or what would it look like to make for people who are recovering from addiction or thinking about other places where it might be useful. There's so many people who, when I work with them, they say, oh my gosh, I wish somebody had told me this 20, 30 years ago. And so I'm thinking, huh, maybe that's what I should do. I should go tell the people 20, 30 years ago who are the current teenagers and college students. 
that sounds fascinating. I can only imagine the impact this work will have for those young individuals, especially if I could have understood some of the mind drama and really just truly understand time from a neutral perspective. I think my young adulthood would have been drastically changed. So thank you for all your work. Now, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you and know more about you, where would they find your information? You can find me on the web, timeforyourlife.org. And I have a, a bunch of blog posts there on different topics. And then also I list all my upcoming workshops that I'm doing. I'm doing one in April 2021. That's the next one that people can sign up for. And also you can find a contact info there that it'll send me an email if you're interested. Yes, I definitely have to say that I enjoyed your course so much. Thank you really for all of your time and the knowledge that you shared. My journey through my limiting beliefs and all of the strategies that I implemented to really kick my butt and get this podcast into a reality was very much a part of the project that I was doing during your course. So I definitely appreciate it so much. And I would highly recommend your course to anyone who would be interested to do it. Well, it was so fun having you in the class. It's always a great group. Thank you so much. And I'll include that information in the show notes as well. So everyone will have a chance to connect with you and get to know you more. I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us and all the wisdom that you've shared today. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks, Serene. Great to be on your podcast and congratulations again on starting it. For my listeners, I want to share that I have one more week for the month of February where I'm offering free productivity consults. Please contact me at serenitywellnessmd at gmail.com for more information. You can also reach out to me at my website, serenitywellnessmd.com or Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Facebook page or at Serenity Wellness MD on Instagram. If there are any topics that you want to hear more, please drop a comment below. I would be happy to add those to our weekly content. And all of this information again will be in the show notes. For all those listening, thank you for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please like, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes and share it with a friend or two. I would so appreciate that. I would love to hear from you. If you have a story to share about burnout or overwhelm, please reach out to me so we can continue to build this community so no one has to go through burnout and overwhelm alone. You can reach out to me at my website, serenitywellnessmd.com or Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Facebook page or at Serenity Wellness MD on Instagram. The content of this podcast is not meant to be medical advice. Tune in for the next episode coming to you every Thursday morning. Goodbye for now.